listening to Charge Tech Podcast, episode 32, the podcast that looks at tech under the hood. I'm your host, Owen, and joining me today, as always, in the new year, is your co-host, John. How are you doing today, John? Hibiscus, Owen. Hibiscus. I'm calling you on the worst connection in the world from New Zealand. Happy New Year. Happy New Year from the Stone Ages. <laughs> we are just so people know we're on, we're doing this is a fight, FaceTime podcast this week, which we've never done before. Yeah, and the audio quality like on this call is terrible because, long story short, I'm at like Femke's parents' beach house in New Zealand, and they have ADSL that's one megabyte per went uh, one megabits per second. It's truly glorious. And so, wait, when you're in New Zealand, you're a what are New Zealanders called? Koalas or what are Australians called? Koalas, Aussies? kiwis, oh, kiwis, right? <laughs> koalas, silly me. Yeah, we're kiwis. Ko- koalas, come so, on, you can't make that mistake, sorry, John. My bad. So you're a koala. Uh, ko- <laughs> so you're a koala, right? So you're a kiwi right now. <laughs> yes, I'm always a kiwi. I think. Are there but a ko- even are more there so when koalas I'm- in New Zealand? No, there's none. Why the heck did I think that? You obviously don't know about Anything. New Zealand well enough. Anything. <laughs> how have you been? It's been how long, how long since the last podcast? Well, week before our Christmas, last right? Podcast, so we said that we were going to podcast before Christmas, and then we didn't because we both got super and then busy. I went to, and New then you went to New Zealand. He was a little so he was a little grumpy I've at been me because he was like, "Well, if we don't podcast now, we're not going to podcast till the New Year." And I was like, "Oh, sorry, buddy. It's fine. It's a it's a vacation from the podcast. That's true. So we're back. Well, I was in New Zealand in the South Island, so." I wasn't even able to podcast in January, for which I apologize. But historically, January is like the worst month for tech anyway. Which it has it's been. CES, but that's a piece of shit. The only, what's happening this month other than Trump? I mean... <laughs> oh, yeah, right. So... <laughs> nothing really. What, anything interesting happened in the world since last podcast? I can't think no. of anything interesting. Basically, everyone had Christmas. <laughs> there's actually... There's a few. We have, we have some pretty good topics, I think. Wait, one more thing before you... Like before Snapchat. we get onto it. Oh, what what is yes. the South Islands? The South Island is the South Island of New Zealand. So we have there's two islands. The North Island is where Auckland and Wellington are, which are the two most populous cities. And then the South Island is kind of like I don't even know how to describe it. It's it depends because people from New Zealand are listening and they're going to be like, oh, that's so insulting. I don't know. It's this. It's it's bigger landmass wise, but it's a lot. Um, there's far less people there because the terrain is very mountainous and like. To me, it feels super remote. Like it's very small towns, beautiful scenery. If you think of like Lord of the Rings, that's the scenery. And so, uh, Femke and I spent ten days driving around in the va- in a van and sleeping in it. Have, have uh, never seen which Lord was of a nice the Rings. Vacation. You never. Oh, I think we have to hang up right now. I haven't seen Lord of the Rings and I haven't <laughs> seen Harry Potter either. But you don't watch much uh, hashtag content, do no. you? How's the weather there? It's the worst summer. In 10 years, according to the news, which sucks. What does that mean? It's been very cold and very wet, and it snowed last night on the mountains here, so it's really terrible. This is like the height of summer. It's usually like 25 degrees, so I escaped negative 5 in Amsterdam and came to 5 to 10 degrees Celsius. It's great. Yeah. Bit of a disappointing summer. How's New York? Beautiful. Shorts and t-shirts. Nice. What, really? (laughs) Is your head exploding? Literally, all we talk about right now in New York is how, why are we outside in our shorts and t-shirts right now? Like, I literally had this conversation with this old Russian cab driver today, and he was like, yeah, I don't know, my generation didn't think climate change was real, and the global warming was real, and now I get in my cab, and I have the air conditioning on, and it's it's January 15th or whatever. (laughs) That's mildly disturbing, but it's nice. 
So, <laughs> At least you could wear your shorts. First up, favorite company, Snap Aza Chataza. Isn't it Snapaza? Yeah, so no? I said Snapaza Chataza. There's no Chataza anymore. It's just Snapaza Inc. <laughs> well, okay, fine. If you want to be pedantic, I won't. <laughs> all right, all yeah, right, Snapaza, right. Snapaza, Snapaza, Snapaza. So what, did, what did our friend Evan Spiegel get up to now? Well, apparently he's going to take his company public for surezies. Yeah. For a lot of money, too. A disturbing amount of money. Well, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this because people have just been like, what the hell? What do you think about this? Blah, 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 I blah. have so many feelings. I have so many feels, too. But I don't think that it all of... I don't think that our whole theory and, like, conversation that we've had over the last 32 episodes or whatever of this... Uh, <laughs> Every episode. Around, yeah, around it becoming, like, a media platform and a distribution and, like, original content being made for Snapchat. Like, I was even actually thinking it would be so cool. Like, I don't consume content, like you said, but people love these like shows like um uh i don't even know any tv show names but uh like uh uh yellow what is it orange is the new black or um west world or any of those things uh mm-hmm. people you know like it would be really cool if or even or even these better examples like gilmore girls right like gilmore girls it's set in one place it's always in the same houses it's always on the same street it's always the same characters they always have right, the same right. types of interactions with each other or friends or whatever those types of shows right it'd be super cool if like an extension of the show was also like you know someone took a snapchat in the show and it showed I mean, up immediately like you just refreshed your snapchat and like while the show isn't on maybe like the character in the show would be posting this like b-roll content of being able to follow along still right so like you just add this like secondary level experience to the um to the story yeah. of the of the content and so that kind of but that's kind of what it is right right now sure technically and i feel like there's a lot of room like i've said i think there's a, like a million times on this on this podcast like i really think there's room to create original content lonely girl style like uh snapchat show like, like snapchat TV shows? shows right yeah like well, i think they tried that that. Room- do you remember that one um literally can't even was their first show and it was actually pretty incredible for the time because it was a portrait shot on snapchat yeah if you google literally can't even by the way it's the worst it's terrible like it was literally just, can't even yeah snapchat original literally can't even it was like six minute episodes and they that was part of discover when it first launched and dude it bombed so bad it wasn't even around for a season i don't think it was terrible the concept was really cool because it was in portrait right so you could just i don't know you could kind of just watch and it was it was really nice but the content was awful i don't know so but the thing is let me ask you this google ipo who what? just joined as the president who did? Who just joined as the president of the company, though? The guy in charge of Sony, who, aka Evan Spiegel's best friend, which basically leaked. And you remember the the Sony hack? It came mm-hmm. out that Sony was like in bed with Snapchat. Wow, that mm-hmm. worked out, didn't it? Mm-hmm. But you think so what, Sony, Sony Studios, Sony Entertainment, Sony Media, like Sony, like it's just Sony is a media. Come, like it has I, a huge media I really arm, right? think people are burning out on Snapchat though. Have you have you seen Discover lately? It's awful. I don't know. It's pretty good in New York. Like our hyper locals, Discover is really oh, good. No, I watch those, it every day. Not, the, not that the part that of Snapchat that actually makes money. The part with the news. That's mostly just pictures of scantily clad women and like NFL yeah. players. That's Snapchat's business model. So it's like, 
at the moment because you have to pay you have to pay a million dollars a month to have one of those channels or something along those lines is what I heard. That's a lot of moolah, man. And like, yeah, but it's when, not good content. When, H- when HBO comes to Snapchat and says we want to be able to do second screen stuff with Snapchat, and we're willing to pay like a uh, percentage on the franchise or licensing deal of whatever the show we're making is, that, that's when the big bucks will come in. So if I they totally can figure agree. that stuff out. I totally agree, but so Google IPO'd in the year, what, 1999 for $24 billion, and we're saying that Snapchat is worth more, basically. So Snapchat's IPO, what was it, 32, $32 billion is the rumor? Google's a search engine. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, a crazy, I wonder what that gives them a market cap of. That's, that's insane. I mean, even just the comparison is kind of crazy. I think, well, yeah, first of all, Google really IPO'd. Weird. Yeah, I just think the number is weird. I, th- I mean, Google IPO'd in a very different market, right? Just before the um, the crash. So it was hyperinflated as well. And they survived. And But back then, Google was just a search engine. That's what they IPO'd for. And Snapchat is just a media app with not even that many users. And it's like 200 million active users, which is okay, a lot, but it's not Facebook, you know? And fa- Facebook mm-hmm. IPO'd for a lot less. Are we saying that Snapchat is worth more than Facebook? I mean, that's a recent IPO too. And I'd argue that Facebook has way more value. I mean, maybe, no I what, don't know. Maybe not. Like if they do hardware and they get into VR in a big way and VR becomes a big thing and they like, I mean, Facebook's it's really doing that, hard though. to say. Like, I, yeah. I find it, I just find Snap's valuation more insulting than any, anything else. I don't think that they're valued it that much. And I don't know if it's reflective of, and don't get me wrong, I admire Snapchat, but I don't know if it's reflective of their own arrogance or if it's reflective of the market being insane. It just makes mm-hmm. me feel a bit icky. I don't know. I think I think it's just a bit strange. Yeah, I agree. It's really weird. It's a lot of it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money in the world when there's a lot. It's a lot of money when there's a lot of problems in the world to be solved and a lot of companies. And it's that a hard capital market IPOing. too, right? Mm-mm. Like it's not. Easy. It's not a good weird. time right now. Yeah, it's just a very strange thing. I'm sure we'll talk about it 80,000 more times, but... Well, we'll have yeah. to see... Well, it all comes down to what they IPO for. And I actually mm-hmm. have to say, the coolest thing about this whole thing is I'm glad they're IPOing because until now we haven't seen inside, right? So we don't know anything about it. And that there was an article on Bloomberg yesterday talking about how Snapchat is struggling with the fact that they have to basically open up everything for the first time. All of a sudden, they have to disclose a lot of stuff and Snapchat has historically been very, very secretive. So it'll be very interesting to read those kind of, like the SEC notes. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, God, that sounded so nerdy. You're a weirdo. Do you not read those things? Uh, sometimes, but I'm not in the press the way that you are. So you guys skim that stuff for like hot, hot tips. Hot, hot goss. Is there any good hot goss yeah. out of Twitter? There's no hot goss out of Twitter, man. It's dying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think we say that a lot. Twitter is on Death Watch 2017. Okay. Can you tell me about uh, anything interesting out of CES at all? There was nothing. Nothing? (laughs) It was just a lot of crap. I think, like, CES as a a concept, I think, is dying, first of all. So, like, why does CES exist, right? Owen is literally going to kill everything on this podcast. Why 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 does life exist? Yes, what is life? No, I think the thing with CES is it's kind of the concept of a trade show once a year doesn't make any sense, first of all, especially following holiday season. Everybody announces their shit before the holiday season. It's ridiculous. And second of all, most of the stuff that's announced there has already been announced or it's just crap. 
so this year, like the big thing was Internet of Things, which is hilarious. And everybody's just cramming. Did you see there's like a smart hairbrush? It just gets weirder and weirder. Uh, you know, like every year there's just less and less interesting stuff going on. I don't know if that's stagnation in tech or more that the big players aren't actually there. But the big thing from CES that I saw, the only thing I care about is um, Amazon managed to cram Alexa into basically everything, which was pretty interesting. You can get Alexa mm-hmm. TVs now, you can get an Alexa fridge, you can get an Alexa washing machine. Like, that's actually pretty cool. And their strategy is smart. If you can just be the platform for all voice and everybody else's gadgets because they're useless at voice recognition, that is cool. You like Alexa, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, you like Amazon, so by proxy, you like Alexa. So I've been in a lot of people's homes recently that I've noticed have had these things popping up, but I see Google one way more than I see the Alexa one these days. Really? I think I think yep. that's partially because the Google one has a better price point, half price almost. And, you know, it has the, the Google brand. Google knows a lot about you and it looks cool. I don't know. That's that's my position on it. The interesting thing is maybe Google's going to lose out just because Amazon's going to get the platform first. It's just kind of ironic. I don't know. We'll see. But Amazon is cramming everything into Alexa, into everything this year, which is kind of smart i mean that's one way to make sure that nobody can get rid of it but it's (laughs) like voice assistants are definitely the next war the other thing that was really crazy totally on that topic eddie q from apple the guy i think he's in charge of marketing i always forget what his job title is Mm -hmm. he went on the record with back channel saying that they think these alexa and google home things are bullshit and that nobody what? will use them. Yeah, he went on the record oh, yeah, saying... yeah, because they think Siri's better, right? Yeah, he was like, oh, Siri's better because, you know, Siri's always with you and it's not tied to a specific place. And I read it and I was like, what? The whole point of these kitchen things are that they're not your phone and that you can just talk out loud without having to worry, like it just works. And I, I read it and I was like, oh, God, they're going to completely miss this boat, aren't they? Because there's been a lot of rumors about Google Home, um, like an Amazon, uh, sorry, an Apple competitor for Google Home. But... That makes me wonder if they're just going to keep chugging along with crappy old Siri forever. I just thought it was kind of funny. I don't have anything good to say about this, but I thought I saw a headline that Amazon had also done something with flying drone delivery hubs. I should Google that. Yeah, they're working on it. There was that was the one where it was like floating in the sky. They wanted to have like fulfillment centers in the sky. Hilarious. I mean, it could work, Um, but. Uh, no. And people have been using the shop thing now, uh, what? and people like it. The what thing? The store, the the no line, no cat checkout, uh, Amazon Go store. They, oh, it's they actually, opened one in, it's uh, already open. Yeah, in Seattle. And I was oh, seeing people cool. tweet about it, and they love it. Yeah, I mean, I would love that. Who wants to interact with a human when they're doing their groceries? <laughs> like They said it was super bang on, too. They put stuff back, and it like took it off the thing, and what? then... Yep. Damn, that's cool. I mean, we have self-checkout here. I think you have some of that in New York. It's really Kinds prevalent in New Zealand, but, you know, I mean, it's not the same because you have to scan your shit manually and, like, line up still. That Amazon thing assumes you just walk out with a bag full of crap, right, and then you've, you've paid. All right, here we go. Ready? Yeah, what? Oh, oh, it's that time. We've only talked about one thing, and we're already uh, calling. Hello. Jack Clark. Hey. Hello, John. It's uh, John and Owen on the podcast. Marvelous. 
Awesome. Okay, so we do this segment every week where I randomly call someone in my phone book, and then if they answer, <laughs> we ask them a question which they have to answer in less than a minute and a half. But first, you have to say who you are and how you know me. Well, I'm Jack Clark. I'm the Strategy and Communications Director for OpenAI, and I met John when I was weirdly interested interested in infrastructure and was uh, <laughs> hanging out in the digital ocean elevator in new york this is true i love it so uh obviously you hang out and deal with ai uh all day and ai is something on everybody's minds and everybody wants to know uh how it's going to change the workforce and how it's going to change and the what world it means and what it means, but I'm going to ask you a slightly more random question. And that question is, if the singularity was here, how would we know? Oh, that's a great question. Well, well, for about four or five different ways, you know, you'd see sudden sort of unprecedented fluctuations in the stock market across weird categories, very likely, but you'd see large amounts of currency trading. Then you'd see those being diverted into digital currencies and quickly siphoned into a series of corporations which would start to buy up assets across varieties of different legalities. So that's one tell. Another one is that you'd see very, very weird patterns of traffic which looked almost like DDoS attacks across different parts mm. of the internet. And then probably the third thing that you'd notice is that weird things might start happening to utility infrastructure, particularly with stuff like the power grid. You might see certain partitioning events occur as resources were diverted to data centers housing the sort of gestating super intelligence. Wow. Those would, be, those would be three things. It's like the movie Transcendence a little bit. Uh, yes, except it won't be Johnny Depp, and you, you'll somehow be lacking that, I think. Okay. Okay, so one quick follow-up question, because actually people write about the write into us uh, about this stuff quite a lot, So, and it's something we talk about a lot. Um do you think that AI is something that we need to take as seriously as uh, as kind of people who say that you should take it seriously right now, uh, Nick Brostrom and, and, and co, uh, kind of say? Or do you think we're still at the, oh, it's five years away from being five years away? Or like, what's your thought on that? I think we're in about the mid-80s. If, if AI is the internet, we're in the mid-80s right now. So what we need to do is do the, do the things now that make the internet not terrible in 20 years' time. Oh, cool. So we do need to pay attention to stuff like safety and security now because otherwise we'll end up with uh, undesirable or dangerous qualities in our AI systems in the future. But as long as we're doing that now, we don't need to, like, drop everything as a society. It's more about uh, the right investment occurring today, and I think that that's actually happening. I, I don't feel too too worried. And my, as an English person, my default state is worrying. Truth. So that should self be encouraging. Truth. Jack Clark, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you so much for the work that everybody at uh, OpenAI awesome. does. And also thank you so much for answering the phone when I call you. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. Love Bye. you, buddy. Bye. Man. Cool. That was I a good feel one. like we can't even talk about anything after that. All right. Time <laughs> to go. Good episode. Thanks, Jack Clark. <laughs> that was epic. Uh, so actually, we kind of do have something on that topic. So you remember late last year, Google spun out Waymo. I always get them I do. confused with that Wemo plug. <laughs> Waymo <laughs> and Wemo. I don't know why. Anyway, so Google Google used to have the Waymo self-driving car unit inside Google, but now it's spun out to 
there's that weird corporate structure where Google is part of a company called Alphabet now, and that basically frees Google up to focus on the things it's good at. It means that Alphabet can run companies like Nest and Waymo and others. So it's a kind of like a, a level above Google now. Anyway, Waymo just after Christmas announced that it was slashing the costs of self-driving car components by 90% in a single day. It's crazy. So basically every self-driving car except the Tesla, funnily enough, uses a system called LiDAR. And that's that's kind of a imaging radar kind of sensor that sits on top of the car. I won't get into it too hard. But it basically sits on top of the car and it maps out kind of everything around it so it knows like shapes and objects and how fast they're moving and all that kind of thing that's it's a key sensor for self-driving cars basically so the reason that self-driving cars cost so much is that right now and uber is heavily relying on it Uh, volvo is relying on this everybody's relying on it except tesla which is using vision and machine learning also a valid strategy anyway it used to be seventy five thousand dollars per sensor and now google's selling them for seven and a half grand totally going to change the game that's that's the exponential kind of <laughs> Moore's law kind of right there. And it's like happening to self-driving cars. I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, I think things are moving a little quicker than I think pe- things are moving a little quicker than people really uh, realize they are. In fact, I was on the phone with Accenture today and that was one of the things that we really talked about. We really talked for like hours and they're forming this new strategy group to try and like help, um, enterprise a little bit more kind of connect with startup and understand kind of yeah and one of the things that we really discussed was like this just disconnect at like the not like the pace at which academia can come out with something and can be coupled straight into uh the private sector at the startup level or the technology can be brought to market really really quickly because we have such a commoditization and proliferation proliferation Mm. there hard word of all of these different pieces of uh, technology and components now that are coming together in, you know, to just everything gets exponentially faster, cheaper, better. Um, and the, the, one of the things that we were, I guess, talking about is like, there comes like almost, I would say like sort of hard stop competitive advantages where, yeah, where, where you, the technology gets to a point where you can implement it in a, such a new and interesting solution or like such a better, more cost effective way that you either l- can leapfrog existing enterprise or, uh, or one enterprise can be really, um, uh, innovative and, and kind of bring this stuff in and really change its company quickly. And then just kind of render everyone else in the space kind of you know, obsolete very, very quickly. Right. And I think, and I think always has been the issue in enterprise at least is like just so hard to, to implement change in organizations that are really big and like have really structured ways of doing things or have compliances because of the scales that they're at and stuff like that. But I really do feel like we're going to see a lot more of that, that like, you know, as VR gets more uh, commercial, you know, uh, there's, there's just a huge tie in between VR and, and uh, LIDAR actually. Right. Like, you know, all these, it's It's LIDAR is, is, yeah, it's all, it's all lasers. It's all light. It's all the same types of stuff. Right. And so you're talking about, you know, individual components that are used in a multitude of different varying types of systems across different industries 
then quite quickly be change in ways that you didn't expect them to, right? Like some component randomly becomes cheap in somewhere else or that, and then all of a sudden agriculture changes and you're like, holy fuck, right? Yeah. I mean, if you cut the price of a component from $75,000 to $7,500 territory, I mean, you're talking in a different league now. I mean, before it was kind of only academia that could afford it and big companies, but now, you know, like $7,500 is fairly attainable for anybody who's heavily interested in the area, right? If you want to mess with a LiDAR and start learning, that's way more attainable. I mean, it's like not the price of a, you know, a house deposit anymore. So it's, that kind of changed it exponentially. I think, you know, uh, what you were saying about VR is really interesting because it is now commodity and it is a lot cheaper. And the, even the the kind of GPUs that are required to drive it are falling in price exponentially. Even uh, personally, one of my goals this year is to make something in VR, even if it's really shit, like a, a, a in Unity or something, you know, like I want to make a game where you can throw a ball in VR. Like that's my goal. I want to code that just so I want to, I want to know how hard it is. And that's attainable now, but two years ago, the Oculus Rift was three grand, you know, and that was, that's a high bar, but $7,500 for a significantly, you know, it's, it's required for a self-driving car. That's a game changer. And that's the kind of thing that, was it comma, comma dot AI, the guy that jailbroke mm. the iPhone that he was doing it himself. Grumpy man. That's the kind of thing that, that yeah, he was horrible, but that was the kind of thing <laughs> they were betting on. They were, they were basically saying that if you can make the cost of the components cheap enough, you should be able to retrofit any car. Yeah, but also... I don't think that's true, but no I po- do But think- also no point. Like, we need to... Yeah. We actually need old cars off the road over time, too. So, right. like, I mean, this is... <laughs> that's a very first world. I think it starts with like, auto- autonomous-only highways. Like, yeah. like the first thing yeah. that's going to happen is you're going to have the, a freeway that's built from, I don't know, San Francisco to Los Angeles that only self-driving cars can go on. And it's only a quarter of the time because they can go eight times faster because they're not going to hit into each other, you know? I think that's pretty cool. The Man, this car, you know how I do this thing where I talk to New York cab drivers and I don't take Uber anymore and I just talk yep, yep. to cab drivers for hours? Oh, by the way, random thing. Jeremy Dunn actually developed uh, the first police... Uh, so the basically LiDAR was like mainly main commercial use before the self-driving car stuff was for um police uh side side of the road uh speed detection devices really you know those little like gun looking things that they look through so yeah so uh jeremy dunn developed the first uh police uh lidar device i have no idea who jeremy dunn Dunn is uh in uh, 1989 whoa it's that old yeah, and in and in 2004, 10% of US sales of traffic enforcement speed devices were lidar and that went to 30% in 2006. So like it's going to wow. be hilarious that like police departments aren't going to be able to understand why all of a sudden like, you know, 2018 rolls around and they're and suddenly their uh, handheld police devices go from, you know, 2500 bucks a unit to th- $13 a unit or whatever, right? Yeah, like yeah. Like the, you'll be able to get gonna, it at any just, corner store. Because <laughs> you think, like, the thing that was driving down the price before was actually probably law enforcement, right? Like, it wasn't that huge of a use everywhere else. Uh, Fascinating. Anyway, what were we saying before I said that? Sorry. Oh, we're just saying that it's kind of interesting how low the price is being driven. I, I do agree that the uh, pre- older cars probably won't be outfitted. But man, the amount of discussions I've had in the last few weeks because it's holidays and, and we're friends and stuff about how self-driving cars are not coming in the next 20 years, people would really believe that, is hilarious to me. I Like maybe I'm, 
I'm horrible for being so strongly believing about it, maybe, but I really think that it's less than 20 years away. I think it's less than 15 no. years away. So this is like the my thing. My kids like, will not learn I, to drive. No. I got this, I had this gut-wrenching moment today when I was in the Uber, or in the taxi with the the taxi driver, and we were just talking, and I, you know, one of the things I like to talk about is Uber, because I think it just, it, it, it you could go, for, with taxi drivers, goes into so many yeah. different places of socioeconomics and what's right? wrong with America yeah, and stuff like that. So, but it always gets them fired up. And, you know, I said, how is, so it's like obvious that Uber has impacted uh, the New York taxi industry to some degree, but not to the point where uh, medallions are coming off the road. Like there's not a lot of like medallion cars that are not not being driven they're either just going all the way down to the point of just being driven by the owner like just gets to the owner operator situation or like or they like cut a couple of people who are like driving for them or whatever right and i said and and kind of i think a barometer a benchmark or like a a a red flag in new york is like things are really screwed up at least in that world when when medallions stop start coming off the road so like taxis basically stop stop driving in new york and and we're not at that point yet but not yet (laughs) but but that well that was so that was like you know this is what i said to the taxi driver today i'm like well are we at the point where you know medallions are not driving this is like old uh old egyptian guy who's been in in the u.s for 30 years and he's like no of course not i mean you know everyone who's got a medallion is driving their cab like we're not it's not at that crazy point yet and i said yeah but i guess uber will and he said hey it's, it's not about uber it's not gonna be this cab it's not gonna be that uber it's not gonna be this car in front either and i was like huh and he's like you know what look at what's going on like the there's just going to be little pods that we're just going to move around. This guy's like 80 years old or something, right? Like old, old. Like, and he's like telling schooling me like within he's like within seven years, I don't think that cars are going to be driving around Manhattan and stuff or it's going to be something you tell your kids around. There used to be this thing called a taxi. And now like I mean, get Manhattan the, is the perfect the city, city for that kind of thing. Oh, it would be amazing if they just banned if they just like literally tomorrow said you have to use Sixth Ave and uh, First Ave. Sixth Ave is up, First Ave is down. You can only use those streets if you're a commercial delivery vehicle doing like delivery up and down to stores that are on any of the cross grids there. So if you want to get to like, you know, like 40 you know 42nd and and madison you would you would like go up six to 42nd drop off your load to some smaller either automated thing or whatever and it would take it into the city streets the rest Mm -hmm. of the city streets no taxis no cars nothing just either buses and like autonomous buses or little uh little pods that fly around like drive around on their own or whatever and you order them on demand and they're provided by the city seriously Fuck the subway. Why are they building this subway? How much did they just spend on this on the second half lag? Second half subway. Let's just just Google this right now. That whole subway thing is crazy, though. It's like the most expensive per per meter subway project in the world. Like, (laughs) it's insane. Anyway, uh, on that topic, I actually was just thinking while you were talking about that, like, it definitely starts with trucks, right? I mean, that's the easy one. You don't have to modify the roads at all. Suddenly, the trucks are all self-driving. Boom, done. Then the cars come. Like a truck is an easy billion dollars, Owen. Yeah, 
That's an easy target. You don't even have to worry about the cars. Just do the trucks first. Everything else follows. $17 billion. Can you believe that? You know what? Trucks are a great test bed too, right? Wait, what? That's for the tunnel? The line is 16 stations long, uh, can do a daily ridership of a half million people, and costs more than $17 billion to construct. So I read that most of the construction cost was in the stations because they did a whole bunch of dumb shit digging them. Deep bore, deep bore, wide bore, crazy stuff. Like the most ridiculous stations that you've ever seen. So get this. And I hate to be the like guy champion championing Europe right now. I'm not that guy, but I want to say Amsterdam champion spent the last away. 15 years. Some championing is falling apart. Anyway, sorry. Oh, it is falling apart. But Amsterdam spent the last 15 years building a tunnel from the top of Amsterdam. If you look on the map, right, it's like this horseshoe shape. And in the middle, it kind of has like a, a river. Uh, and so historically, Amsterdam doesn't have a bridge over that river. There's no way to get there except a tiny boat. But it's part of Amsterdam. Amsterdam North is part of Amsterdam, but it's severed by a river because it's a shipping channel. So for 20 years or so, they've been putting a subway tunnel underneath the city, which is mud and a swamp, and it costs them $1.8 billion. It's like, I just don't get it. Amsterdam has like all these, you know, underneath there's all these like, I know there's not as many people as Manhattan, like totally get that, but it's just as technical because underneath Amsterdam all the houses are on stilts there's mud the whole thing like reshuffles it's insane and we still did it for way cheaper so pfft, insane anyway bunch of bullshit miss what else have we got to talk about buddy have you ever watched Summer Heights High oh my god beautiful <laughs> that's a Kiwi sh- oh it's Australian actually yeah it's really good okay so um, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna actually talk about the urban city planning tool when we do questions of slack because okay that was asked there so the only other thing to say uh that's uh, that we have written down is that there's a new entrepreneur visa that you can get for startups in the u.s really um which is kind of cool even though trump yeah. is coming in yeah penny pritzker in her wisdom in fact if you're an american and or if you're not an american you should Google who Penny Pritzker is, follow her on Twitter and say thank you to her. She is one of the most brilliant, smartest uh, women who have ever worked in. in, She's the Secretary of Commerce for the United States. Uh, She's had a terror. She worked with under Obama. She had basically the hardest job in America. And she did a lot of the right things. She fixed a lot of like she like she basically worked with industry and government and fixed as much like regulatory bullshit and like silly things that were implemented to like try and basically she really focused on startup and high tech. Like I would say if you know someone really senior in the tech space who like they've likely had a conversation with Penny Pritzker and they will likely say that that was an amazing conversation. And like the U S was basically lucky to have her. Like I got nothing and uh, Ian Callen, who's the, who was her chief data officer. So he's the chief data officer for the, uh, uh, U.S. Uh, uh, Department of Commerce is also awesome. He's on, on my board for my company and like super cool guy and and just anyway they did great work. Um, and w- so before she left, she snuck in, uh, just got it in before she got she uh, you know the administration changed. So it's like it's enacted. It's going to be implemented. There's a new visa that you can get, and it's actually relatively easy to get. Um, which is super cool. Uh, and 
basically it's like a, an entrepreneurship visa. Um, you need uh, some, you know, the requirements are not super crazy. Uh, you get a, a green card out of it. Uh, you need uh, $280,000, I think, uh, in investment from, oh, wow. uh, 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 but it has to be from a proper uh, uh, VC firm. It can't be, um, it can't be like, you know, just like your buddy gave you 250 K. And so, yeah, it's, it's a 30, 30 month kind of period of time. You have some KPIs that you need to meet that your startup needs to meet during that time. Uh, if they meet it, uh, you can do, uh, 30 more months. Uh, if after the first 250 K, uh, you raise 500 K more then you get another 30 months. Um, or if you have 500, uh, or if you have 500k in ARR, uh, annual reoccurring revenue, uh, with a 20% annual growth, or you employ uh, five US persons full time, uh, you qualify for this thing, and you can renew it 30 months over 30 months over 30 months. Uh, it comes into effect the 17th of July this year. Uh, really easy to apply for, and can support up to three founders. Wow! Really amazing. So we'll see if it sticks around when Trump gets in. <laughs> I don't think it's something they can easily un. Well, I mean, I'm sure they can undo it, but like, I'm sure it's really low on there. It's a good. It's a good. It's like you'd be crazy to repeal this. Like, it's really well thought out. Like, it's I, and I think he's trying to like encourage investment and startup and like get the economy going. Like, this is a really good thing for the U.S. So, uh, I, you know, yeah. So, um, that's cool. And that's, I guess I just want to talk about I got one last thing to add to that self-driving thing. I don't know if my audio is going to be trash or not. Uh, I just remember that uh, Tesla announced um, in collaboration with the government that since they had uh, rolled out autopilot, they'd reduced accidents by 40%. Oh, yeah, I saw that too. That's crazy. It's super cool. That's the auto steer function, so the one that goes around the corners and does uh, cruise control lane guidance. Pretty damn awesome. I got in an argument with Laura about this because, Uh-oh. uh, some, well, someone, she said, she said to me that someone said that they didn't like that. And I was like, well, that person's an idiot then. And she's like, don't call people an idiot. And I was like, well, <laughs> I think, nice. uh, saying that you don't like that is like saying you don't like seatbelts. Like it's basically yeah. like the most fundamental safety features that's been added to the car since the seatbelt, right? Like it's, it's, so I wasn't surprised when I saw that report, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And like, it's going to get better and, that's and better And a start of self-driving cars, man. I know it's so, awesome. Okay. It's going to get very noisy here. So we should do one question from the Slack and we can do the following one when I'm in the comfort of my quiet house next week. Okay, well, the first one's really quick. We can do two seconds. Jessia asks, question, will Trump's Twitter account help buoy Twitter? Looks like they're a sinking ship, but they're still still a household Good name. question. Nah. I think it's, Twitter's screwed anyway, and I think Facebook will try think, and buy this loyalty. I don't think loyalty. the president of the United States could keep... I don't like, Hey, look, we said this a million times. None of us think, none of us think that Twitter should actually die. We just think it should be a $20 million a year business. Like it's not like, it should just be what it is. Yeah. It's just be what it is. So like, yeah, nah, I think it's, it's like probably not going to be a hundred million dollar or whatever it is company anyway. And it should probably be delisted. So whatever. They're very susceptible to losing him anyway as well. Like Facebook will court him hard during this election. I'm sure of it because Teal is his right man, man. Like 
this there's a big risk that he leaves Twitter. So that's my two cents. Do you anyway, want to next question. quickly do one more? Okay. Um, Derek says, uh, I got three kids, three years, six years, and nine years, uh, and I'm starting to teach them about uh, the future of privacy and digital security. I'm really worried about it. Uh, I want to know what I can do to help keep them safe um, other than you know good guidance and stuff like that and teaching them anything that they post online will eventually be public slash is public slash passwords are not real slash the internet's not a place where you can keep anything secret. Also, what's your take on VPNs for daily personal use? Uh, look okay. at Tunnel Bearer Cloak. There's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> super, so, super lot. That's why I was like... Yeah. I don't really know. Okay, so the first thing I would say is teaching them about passwords and like security questions is pretty key. You know, like nobody taught me in school that like passwords shouldn't be recycled. I figured that out way too late in the game. You know, password managers, I will probably teach my kid about that as young as possible, first of all. Second of all, VPNs and connections, like... I think a key for kids these days is teaching them that like anything that's not your home connection is pretty unsafe and that you should probably use a VPN for. And even your home connection, okay, your home connection is not safe either. It's true. Connecting your McDonald's Wi-Fi and like logging into your shit without a VPN, don't do it is basically number one. So I think I'd teach them about that. But then there's this whole like other thing where we could, this maybe we shouldn't get into it too much because it will end up being parenting advice is like filtering the internet. I don't think I would filter the internet for my own kids, but I think that's a decision each person should make. There's heaps of software out there for it now. But like my two cents on that topic is I grew up on the unfiltered internet and that's what got me into coding and it's what got me into like nerding out about all this kind of stuff. And I think if I had the filtered internet, I'd be far less interested in, in that stuff. I think kids should be able to make their own mistakes. Sure, they might accidentally find some porn maybe but you know i think there's other ways to manage it than just kind of like tracking everything and blocking certain sites and all that kind of thing do you know what i mean parenting advice from owen i love it yeah what do you think on these topics john like what what would you be your number one thing for i think internet safety yeah well for me i think i'm thinking about having my guess my kids so what i will teach my kids would be really just to like teach them what the internet is right i think i think i would be more inclined to teach my kids like hey this is a journal and you can write in the a real world journal and no one can ever hack it and i won't read it and this is live journal and this is medium and this is a notepad and this is your email right and like and really like saying like the internet is this interesting tool that is an extension of your real world life that is the most important thing. And that throughout your life, lots of people will push you into communication channels and push you into content, um, uh, content uh, consumption channels and content consumption mediums that you should be thoughtful and evaluate and decide whether or not this is for you. And like that the internet is an easy thing to follow the flock on because the flock has all gone, right? Like we're all on the internet. And so when, now that we're all on the internet, it doesn't feel like any individual, like we sort of just sort of very much live on it. Right. And it doesn't feel like any um, sort of, 
individual part of the internet or we don't like, it's not this like sacred thing, right? It's not a thing that we go to. And I think there's this interesting opportunity for people who have young kids today to undo what happened. Well, I'm really super lucky actually, because I, I, you know, lived when I was 10, we didn't have internet, but when we were 11, we had internet and I was very cognizant of the world up until 10 and from 10 forward, I kind of learned what the internet was and grew up I got on the it, internet right? But like, then as well. So that's super fortunate, but I think like people even three or four years younger than me got cell phones with internet yeah. in high school well, and stuff like, like that. And like you're three or four and you go online now. <laughs> like, yeah. And I think some of the parents are really wild about how unfettered they are about their yeah. uh, kids the yeah, access, have an iPad. access to technology. Yeah. I mean, now granted I went like I, 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 went to a, a Steiner school, uh Waldorf school. So like that's, they really believe no access to technology, I think until you're six years old. And I, I mean, I think that that is like, so anyway, my real point is I, I, you know, you can teach about security, you can teach about all these things. And obviously they're really important things. And I think you, every parent just generally is probably able to, at this point, understand that that's something that they have to do for their their kids in, in their in coming into their teens and stuff like that. But for me personally, I think the biggest thing is like really helping them understand uh, the sharp delineation between technology as a tool and your life and how they kind of have this interplay because yeah, nobody teaches you, you look at, they, they don't. And I look at kids who are like 19, 20, 21 right now and they are really confused about what's my life. What's real? Like, is this stuff on the internet and Facebook real? Like, am I supposed to be like, where is my life an extent? Is the internet an extension of my life? Yeah. Is my life am an I extension the of the internet? <laughs> am I, yeah. Like it really is. It's like, it seems like it's that existential for some of these people. And it's like, Ooh, that's just terrifying for me. Well, you've right. Grown up since you were 12, having a profile, like that's insane. Well, since like, before, I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. Like it's insane. And now it's always on. That's the other thing is like, even since, you know, the kids that grew up, even if you were born in the 1999, you can remember a time before the internet was always on in your pocket, at least. Not anymore. I, I have friends who are parents who are kids are at, who are, whose babies are adding me on friends as Facebook. And I'm like, Ugh. what are you doing? You're not giving, I mean, I also think circumcision, what are you doing? Because you're not giving your child the right to choose, but like serious, like, you know, like you're not even giving them the ability to, to choose whether or not they even live a life online or not. And like, yeah. that's just, and we could get into a whole me. thing about baby photos here too. Cause you're basically feeding Facebook's image recognition algorithm from the moment your baby's born when you upload those. Yep. And that's a whole nother topic oh, wild. that makes me feel gross, uh, but there's so many implications. So that's what I would think about TLDR uh, and then teach your kids about the security. only other thing. The second thing on that is VPN. Uh, I personally, if you want the best, best thing, run open VPN on a digital ocean droplet. That's like, then you're, you know what you're doing. Like if you, if you're technical and you already run a VPN. The biggest, the biggest reason for that is because you know, end to end what the setup is. Sure. You don't know what the hardware layer is, but with like, you know, a VPN service, you I don't know the you, motors, you don't know where it goes. You're chill. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. But if you're not technically minded, Cloak is really great on iOS and Mac. And I, I use Zenmate, uh, which is pretty good. Yeah, I I used Cloak because it has um, on-demand VPN, which means like 
it's not always on, but when your connection spins up, it creates the VPN for you, which is pretty cool. Uh, the one yeah, that you mentioned is really good. Yeah. yeah, and there's a couple of others, private internet access. They're all good. Just use something when you're not at home and you're on public Wi-Fi because you literally can't be trusted. You can't be trusted. They can't be trusted. And it's, not even, about, can't be it's trusted. not even about McDonald's. It. It's about somebody else on that network being malicious. So, yeah, use protection, kids. <laughs> anyway. Good one. Oh, John, I missed this. I did too. I even said in the podcast channel on Slack the other day, I'm like, I miss podcasting. Well, we're back to normal. I'm flying back to New Zealand, uh, flying back to New Zealand, flying back to the Netherlands tomorrow, and we'll be back Sweet. on at our usual time next week. And I think our resolution for this year is to get better at doing it regularly. So, I'm in. <laughs> let's, let's keep it up. All right. Uh, I have to make the spiel. If you like this, please leave a review, iTunes, anywhere that you can review it. We love it. You can email us, hi at chargepodcast.com. We love it when you email us. And that's pretty much it. Chargepodcast.com is where the show notes are, blah, blah, blah. That's it. That's all I have. Oh, yeah. Someone emailed us and asked, they said they were going to be in New York and asked if they want to hang out. And I said, sure. And then I replied and just said, shoot me a text and we'll hang out. And then I was like, oh, this person is probably super creeped out being like, why is John sending me his number? But then that was because I wasn't going to be on email or Slack <laughs> during the Christmas period. So the only thing I was checking was my, mes- my message. So apologies if you were one of those people who thought that was maybe thought that was hurting. I'm probably overthinking that. It's also just easier to text you than it is to email you. So. It's so much easier. Yeah. Anyway, we like to hang out and you can look us up. I'm in Amsterdam. John's in New York. Meet us. We're not too weird. Right? <laughs> mm, debatable. A little bit weird. We'll probably talk your ear off about self-driving cars. Anyway. All right, friends. <laughs> All right. Good to talk to you, John. See you next week. Good to know. Talk to you later, buddy. Bye.